This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Acts chapter 1. Uh, just. Uh, Oh, wait a minute. Hulk's chapter 1 is where we are tonight, and just uh, reading from verse 9. Now, when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Tuesday, the 11th of September, 2001, and famously became known as 9-11, it was a day that will be forever etched in our consciousness as the darkest day in America's history. In one hour, over 3,000 people from 60 different nations lay dead among the ruins of the Twin Towers, of the Pentagon building in Virginia, and in the charred remains of the fourth uh, aircraft that was hijacked in a field in Pennsylvania. The whole world was stunned. And most of us, at any rate, we watched the television screens that evening, and uh, we were uh, amazed and shocked at what we saw. It was surreal. It was like some Hollywood blockbuster movie with special effects. Only the reality is we knew that it wasn't. It actually was real and live. And all around the world, the same questions were being asked. Why? How? In a nation that spends $30 billion a year on national security, how did this mass terrorist attack ever be allowed to take place? Why should such a benevolent, generous, freedom-loving nation like the U.S., be subjected to such a hate-filled, barbaric crime? Why were 19 young Muslim men prepared to take their own lives and the lives of thousands of innocent people believing that they were doing this in God's will? Why do mullahs and imams of these extreme groups, why do they pronounce jihad or holy war against America or Britain or any nation that they deem to be infidel. After 14 years, have things got any better? And the answer is no. In fact, they have become immeasurably worse than 14 years ago. Now we have the specter of these black-clad Islamic State jihadists who has taken over huge swathes of Syria and have run through that land beheading 
torturing, raping, executing, crucifying, throwing people from tall buildings. And that's their summary justice by execution and torture. Europe right now is being overrun by millions of people who are displaced uh, from Syria, from Africa, from Pakistan, from everywhere. It seems to be that right now there's mass movement around the world. Uh, I heard just a couple of weeks ago on radio where a woman was talking about this, and she said, right now there are 60 million people in the world, 60 million. That's the population of Britain, a little bit more. 60 million people who are displaced or homeless just because of conflict, not because of earthquakes or famines or typhoons or natural disasters, but through man-made conflict. 60 million people tonight has nowhere they can call home. That's the state the nation's are in tonight. And at this moment, it looks like Iran is going to be allowed to have their nuclear power that they've been desperate to get for years. And even though they seemingly have uh, allayed the fears of the American administration that this will be used solely for peaceful means, and yet their religious leader, the Ayatollah, publicly several times, even recently, even recently since this been agreement made, has said that we uh, avow the destruction of Israel. And so we are in dangerous, dangerous territory. Israel is more and more being isolated amongst the nations. The United Nations Human Rights Council has tabled more... Uh, <laughs> Uh, denouncements, could we say this, against Israel more than all the other nations put together. They're fixated with denouncing Israel. That's a fact, by the way. This is in spite of the fact that Israel is the only true democratic country in all of the Middle East. Nice, particularly in Ireland, there's a, a great uh, uh, siding with the Palestinian cause. Let me tell you, if you were a homosexual and you wanted to have a, a pride parade, you could not have it in the West Bank under Hamas. <laughs> you try that to see with that, but you can do it in Tel Aviv because it's a democracy and they allow such things. Thousands and thousands of Jews are coming back to the homeland, fulfilling the prophet's words of centuries a goal that God would call them from the north and the south and the east and the west. And anti-Semitism is so rife today that they're being forced and hounded out of the, where they live and they're making their way back to Israel. And it's a massive movement that's doing that. And so this is the state of the world uh, tonight. North Korea, which is probably the most godless, atheistic country in the world has got a nuclear bomb. They have nuclear capability. They're armed to the teeth. And unfortunately, it's governed by a megalomaniac madman who absolutely hates the West with a passion. The breakdown of society is alarming. Christians are now being portrayed uh, and lampooned and harangued and mocked and treated as intolerant and bigoted and delusional uh, and ignorant and all the rest of it. And we're beyond shock at this because it's just happening so much. Christians in the East are being tortured and persecuted and beheaded and 
put out of their house and out of their home. But should we really, truly be surprised by all of this? Was not all of this foretold? Is not this what Jesus said would happen before his return? Is this not what we read in the Bible? So we shouldn't be surprised. Did he not talk about tribulation and earthquakes and famines and wars and rumors of war? Did he not warn us about betrayals and the love of many growing cold and being hated of all nations for his name's sake? Did he not say all of these things in the New Testament? Of course he did. So therefore, when it's happening and we see it on our TV, we should not be surprised. Sometimes we are shocked at the scale of it, but we should not be surprised because it was prophetically foretold. So what is all this leading to? It's leading to the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is sooner than we think. It is the most recurring theme in the whole of the New Testament. The imminent return of Jesus is mentioned more than any other subject in the New Testament. One in every 25 verses speak of his return. There's more biblical prophecy about his second coming than there ever was about his first coming. There's more said about Christ's second coming than said about creation, that's said about Jesus' birth and his death and his resurrection altogether. There's much more is said about his return. Here are three indisputable facts tonight. First of all, Jesus came to this earth, then he went back to heaven. Secondly, the Holy Spirit came to this earth, and he stayed here. And thirdly, Jesus is coming back to this earth again. Indisputable. Has happened, is happening, will happen. So why is it necessary for Christ to come back to this earth? Why, why, is it, why doesn't he just gather us all up and just take us? Why come back? Well, there's reasons for that. And that's what I want to share with you in these moments together tonight. His return is necessary. Absolutely necessary to fulfill Scripture. You see, God and his word are inseparable. When God gives his word... He means to keep it. When God promises, when God foretells, He means for it to happen. Over and over again, you read in the Bible, it was said, or it was done, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. Over and over again, we read such things, reminding us and causing us to remember that He is coming back. In John 14, He promised that. He said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again. Yes, right. Promise. No question about it. He will come back again. In Luke 24, 44, remember Jesus was on that road to a mess, and he met those two disciples, and it was... They did not recognize him. It was, it was holding from them, it says, the Bible says. And he talked with them along the way. And then finally they recognized who it was. But listen to what it says. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. 
all the things in the Old Testament, all those prophecies, all those predictions that were made by the prophets concerning me, he said, they must be fulfilled. And many of them has been fulfilled, and many of them are yet to be fulfilled. But the ones that have been fulfilled encourages us for the ones that are yet to be fulfilled. If God made sure that every one of those regarding his first coming was fulfilled, then we can trust him to make sure every one regarding his second coming also will be fulfilled. Revelation 22, 20, Surely I am coming quickly. Hallelujah. If he doesn't keep his promises, then we can't trust his word. Actually, God puts his word above his name, the Bible says. And I told you before the reason why he does that, because someone's only as good, their name's only as good as their word, isn't it? If their word is no good, their name is no good. But God's word is good, therefore his name is good. Because we can trust his word, we can trust his name, can't we? There's some people, you know, when their name's mentioned, you say, well, I couldn't trust that person. Couldn't believe a word comes out of their mouth. Their name's dirt, it's no good, it's useless. Why? Because their word's no good. But we can't say that about God. His word is good, it's true, it's faithful, it's right, it's just. In Mark chapter 14, Mark chapter 14. Verse uh, 60. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, this was at his trial, do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him, saying, said to him, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. <laughs> you know, there's people, I, I've, I heard somebody recently says, you know, the Bible doesn't, Jesus never said he was God. Really? Well, he just said it there, didn't he? Plainly, I am. I am the Christ, the Son of the Blessed. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. In other words, I will come back. And you will see me. In Luke chapter 17. We read this portion this morning, so I won't read all of this portion, just a little bit of it. Luke 17, verse 20. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to the disciples, The days will come when you desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. I firmly believe, you can choose to believe or not, I firmly believe in the rapture of the church. But he's not talking about that there. 
is to unlock his church and every eye will see him from the east to the west. It won't be done on a corner. Everyone will know who he is and will see him. There's a scripture that says in Revelation that men will call for the rocks to fall upon them, to hide themselves from the face of the one who sits on the throne. His return is absolutely necessary to fulfill scripture. You men of Galilee, why are you standing there gazing? This same Jesus who was taken up from you, he shall come in like manner as you've seen him go. And there will come a point when he will physically come upon the Mount of Olives. Scriptures speak of that also. His return is necessary to vindicate all of those who have laid down their lives for him. After 2,000 years, men, women, boys, and girls have laid down their lives for Christ, have been beaten, tortured, burned at the stake, hung, shot, beaten to death, beheaded, put to the sword, impoverished, degraded. God's a just God. And God will see to it that justice will be served. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 11, the great roll call of the faithful, Hebrews 11. Verse, well, let's say from verse 33. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead raised to life again. But others were tortured, not except in deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had a trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were attempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All of these having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having promised something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Revelation chapter 6. Here's the cry of the martyrs. This is under the fifth seal. And when he opened this verse 9, and when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for their testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them, that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was accomplished. I think that number is filling up rapidly. 
And we're now living in a generation that is seeing more Christian martyrs than any other generation has ever seen. And even you do not even have to be a born-again believer. Just owning the name of Jesus in some nations today will cost you your life. Even if you just go to a Christian church, even if you say, I'm a Christian, but you're not born again, but simply because you go to a Christian church, that's enough for someone to want to kill you. And so we're living in days when there will be many, many martyrs. And God, one day, will have his justice. Hallelujah. And they will have justice. His return is necessary to vindicate those who have laid down their lives. His return is necessary that the world may know peace. The world longs for peace. Constantly in television you see huge demonstrations People in the streets, masses of people calling for peace. Politicians, <laughs> they're working night and day to try to get some strategy for peace. It's not working too well, is it? Never seem to get the answer they crave. I know for some of you this seems an eternity ago, but it isn't really. 1912 at Geneva. Major governments of the world came together and promised that never again would the flower of their youth die in needless wars. Fine sentiment, noble aspiration, politicians, reasonable, sensible men would say we will jaw-jaw instead of war-war. But just a few years later, Two years later, actually, World War I broke out. And we had the onslaught of millions perishing in that great war, 1914-18 war. Then after that came the Treaty of Versailles, which led to the initiation of the League of Nations in Switzerland. And the whole purpose of this was to try to prevent anything like that ever happening again. And all kinds of resolutions were made, all kinds of resolutions were passed. But in 1939, World War II broke out. And millions upon millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of people were slaughtered on far-flung fields. In a couple of weeks, we will be remembering that. I've got my poppy in tonight. Buy a poppy to remember those who have laid down their lives. And since then, we have the United Nations and wars are raging all over the earth. And there will be no true peace until the Prince of Peace comes. Hallelujah. We just can't do it. We can't make it happen because of the root of all is sin, isn't it? Man's sin is at the root of it all. So we need the Prince of Peace to return. We have every kind of government imaginable. Democracies, monarchies, ruling families, ruling parties, communism, imperialism, republics, dictatorships. And all of them have failed. Even the best of them has failed. Because we just can't get it together. 
Arnold Toynbee, the historian, said that 21 were civilizations have failed, 19 by inner corruption and moral decay, and two by conquest. So in other words, most of them imploded simply because of sin and corruption. Some of you come from countries that know much about corruption. Those of you from the Philippines and Malaysia. Corrupt governments. We got a little bit of ourselves, haven't we? Remember the time of the uh, expenses scandal? Remember that? Just, what, a couple of years ago? It was all in the papers about the MPs claiming for pencils and pencil sharpers and all the rest of it. Second homes, you name it. And about that time, Sally and I was in the Philippines and I was talking to one of the pastors there and he laughed. He says, it's a joke. He says, our politicians, they know how to cheat. He says, it's millions. <laughs> he says, we do it on a grand scale. <laughs> Thankfully, the present, present government in the Philippines have turned the tables on all of that. And it's brought prosperity to the country. Do you know that the Philippines is the fastest growing economy in all of Southeast Asia? Did you know that? It really is. Why? Because they began to get a grip on corruption. So big companies began to come in and invest. But this is the world we live in. The Lord needs to come back soon. His return is necessary to complete the demise of Satan. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. He's on a leash, and his days are numbered. Hallelujah. He's been judged, he's been sentenced, and we're just waiting for the execution. <laughs> and the closer it comes to that, the madder he gets, and the worse he gets. But there's going to come a day and Christ will deal with him finally, once and for all. And Revelation 20 it tells us very clearly. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit and laid a great chain in the, and had a great chain in his hand and he laid hold of the dragon that serpent of old who is the devil and satan and bound him for a thousand years and he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he could deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished but after these things he must be released for a little while and I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived in the reign with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. And then it goes on now, verse uh, let's read to verse 7. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison, will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. His number is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. There's your answer to why Israel... Not geographically, almost, 
But Israel is the center of cosmic forces, of devilish forces that are trying to destroy this earth. And Israel's right at the very center of it, front and center, and will be right to the very last day. Why should a tiny little land with a small little population hold such sway over the nations of this world? It's a spiritual thing. It's prophetical. It's in the Word. And note this. They went up upon the breadth of the earth, surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen. Glory to God. Some people say, well, I don't believe the flames of hell are real. Well, I don't know any plain reading of that would make that clear to me. Tormented day and night forever. His return is necessary, you see, for the demise of the evil one. We're almost finished. His return is necessary because of all of her loved ones who died in Christ. And most of us here tonight, I'm sure, if not all of us, have loved ones who have died in Christ. It was a big issue in Bible days for Christians. The reason why it became a big issue because the Apostle Paul preached so much about the second coming of Christ and preached about the resurrection and those who died in Christ. And the church at Thessalonica was very concerned about it. They were wondering, well, what's going to happen to our loved ones? He's already gone before. He's died in Christ. He's fallen asleep in Christ. By the way, it's interesting when you read the first epistle to the Thessalonians. In uh, every chapter, at the end of every chapter, Paul mentions about Christ returning. Look at chapter 1. In the very last verse, it says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And then at the end of chapter 2, for what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and our joy. And then at the end of chapter 3, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And at the end of chapter 5, verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who called you is faithful also will do it. But it's in chapter 4 where he hones in on the concerns of the, those who lived in Thessalonica. Verse 9 of chapter 4, he says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should... No, sorry. Verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. 
For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. <laughs> what a day that's going to be. Our loved ones here in Christ are safe, safely home, awaiting us. <laughs> and what a moment that's going to be whenever we be reunited again. In 2 Thessalonians 2, and again we're just about near finished. Second Thessalonians 2. Now, brethren, chapter 2 this is, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is speaking of the Antichrist. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and now you know what is restraining? that he may be revealed in his own time. Excuse me. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one, or the Antichrist this is. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteousness and deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this reason God will send them strong delusion that they believe that should believe the lie, that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in righteousness." Now here's why I read that in closing. This is speaking about the Antichrist who will come. <coughs> but he cannot come until the restrainer goes. He's restrained from coming. Something or someone is restraining him. But when the something or someone who restrains him goes, then he will come. And he will come with power and lying wonders and signs. And there'll be a seven-year period which is divided into true tribulation and great tribulation. He'll make a deal and a pact with Israel and he'll break it. And he'll set himself up as God in the temple. For that cannot come yet until the restrainer 
leaves. Theologians has argued about who is the restrainer. Is it the Holy Spirit? Or is it the church? Or is it both? Well, we know the Holy Spirit is going to be on the earth because people's going to be saved during the tribulation. It'll cost them their life, but they'll be saved. And we need the Holy Spirit to be saved. So could it be that the restrainer is the church? Until the church goes, he can't come. But we go, he will come. It's a debating point among theologians. But what we do know, there is a restraint upon him. But when that restraint is released, then he will come with great power and great force for a period until Christ comes and personally deals with him and deals with the false prophet and deals with Satan, that unholy trinity that we read about in Revelation 20 that are cast into the lake of fire forever. So we are living in the point now where nothing, nothing is here to prevent the rapture taking place. That's where he comes for his saints. But then after that, that seven-year period, when he comes back with his saints, that's different. That's the revelation. So right now, it could be tonight, it could be in a second, it could be in a year, it could be six months, we don't know. The rapture can take place and we'll go to be with the Lord. We'll meet the Lord in the air. And then the wrath which is to come will break out. No wonder Paul says, comfort one another with these words. <laughs> you need all the comfort you can get when you see what's coming down the pipeline. But thank God for this. <laughs> the rock of his word that we stand upon. Strange things are happening, signs in the sun and the moon and the skies. The Bible says all these things will take place. But he says, be not troubled. <laughs> Don't be worried. The end is not yet. Paul says, be comforted by his coming. So for you tonight, Christian, the coming of the Lord should not be a scary thing. It should be a comforting thing. Amen? That's right. Amen. That's right. It should be a comforting thing to know that he is coming, that he promised he would, and he's good to his word, and he will keep his word, and he'll be right on time. We don't know when that time is. He doesn't know when that time is. He's left that up to the Father to give him the moment. So there's no point in guessing. We can see signs. We know it's getting closer. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. But it's coming, and it's coming soon. Amen? So let's be ready. There's a lot of people out there tonight, and before they get ready for the, first, the second coming, they need to get, do some of the first coming. They need to get saved and born again of God's Spirit. All of us as loved ones who are not yet saved. We need to win them to Christ. We need to pray for them. We need to pray, and if you prayed for him a thousand times and preached at them a thousand times, witnessed to him a thousand times, pray that somebody will cross their path. It's amazing how God can bring somebody into the workplace. Some Christian who will share with them and talk with them and win them to the Lord. And that'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? 
See our loved ones come into the, into the kingdom. Be great. Lord, we bless you tonight. We thank you that your promises are good. Your word is faithful and it's true. We believe truly that you are coming back soon. Lord, help us to be ready for that day. We don't know when it's going to be, but we just want to be ready whenever it happens. So, Lord, bless your church tonight. Cause us, Lord, to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Help our lives to be a witness and a testimony to your goodness and mercy. May we win others to Christ in these last days that we're living in. Lord, we want to see a great harvest coming into the church. We want to see precious souls being saved. Thank you for the profession of faith from that dear lady last week, and we bless you for that, and we just want that to increase and continue, Lord. But Lord, we've got to get them through this door. We've got to get them under the sound of the gospel. We've got to witness to them at workplace or the school or wherever, Lord. We've got to drop the Word of God into their heart and let the Holy Spirit take that and sow it as a seed and take root and to be brought to fruition. So we bless you and we give you thanks for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.